0: Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Revolution Minneapolis. I'm Brian Odland, the pastor. Even though I don't like the word pastor, uh, I am here. Um, Thanks for everyone coming. Uh, As always, leave your comments. Leave your comments, comments. anything pushbacks while we go through this uh kind of some housekeeping things sorry if we're starting a little later you know it's a little uh it was a little hectic around here uh at bryant lake Bowl today so we're starting a few minutes late we came in and there was no lights on that's always fun um and then they're really busy here so we're we're here everything's good to go thanks to everyone out who came here live this boisterous crowd that we have yeah, there we go. That's gonna be that's gonna be nice on the podcast feed. Having the background noise is good, and I think it's awesome that there's air going on in here because our apartment we're trying not to put our air conditioner in because you know that's dang expensive. Uh, so yeah, it's nice to be in a place where it's nice and cold and chilly. And good thing I was doing an interview yesterday with my little handy dandy H6 recorder, and right in the middle of it, it turned off because my SIM card. And there was full, which I could delete it. But then I went yesterday and bought a 32 gig SIM card. So I should be good for a hot minute at recording. Uh, another note, uh, for people watching or when this comes out, we're not having service next week because next week is Memorial Day here in the United States. And, uh, I think a lot of people, that's the Sunday right before Memorial Day, which Memorial Day is Monday, uh... So we're not going to be here on Sunday My wife and I and daughter are going to be out of town in North Dakota For our nephew's graduation And, you know, a lot of people when it's holidays Especially in Minnesota We never come to the church or whatever on the Sunday before holiday So we're not having that So, you know, sleep in and go walking or gardening Or whatever you want to do Because uh, we will not be here And we are not. We will not be live So there was that The talk I had today, I don't know if anybody who's ever, like, a writer or who has to speak all the time, like I do every Sunday. um, Sometimes you just get writer's block. Sometimes you just get that fog in your head. Last week, I talked about how Rob Bell's talk that I had the week before was really, his master class was really good and and insightful. But I was talking to my best best friend, Scotty, and I was like, dude, because he's a pastor, too. And I was like, I just have, like, brain fog. I'm just, like, struggling to come up with a sermon, so it's full transparency, because that happens to pastors a lot. Uh, Just day-to-day life happens, and you're like, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. But I honed in on something that, if you've heard me talk a lot here at Revolution, I'm really, I don't know, I'm obsessed with the word subversive, especially in the context of Jesus and in the New Testament, because how often do we hear... Jesus be talked about as this um meek, mild, all that which I'm not saying Jesus can't be meek and mi- mild but I feel like the Jesus that we see especially in the American church especially in evangelicalism is always like Jesus is our best friend, uh he's this, he's this, he's this, he's this, you know, fill in the blank and they fo- And a lot of evangelicals just focus on the death and resurrection part of Jesus. And I'm not saying that that's important or not. You know, what, whatever anyone believes about it, that's their own opinions, and that's fine. I have mine. But we just make Jesus to kind of be this—I don't know what's the right word. Um, we just make Jesus not, I feel like, the Jesus that we see, especially in the New Testament. And I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm going to start out with— a quote that I found online it was a pastor who's overseas. Um, and it kind of, so it's going to start out a little dark, but I'll get there. And I, don't, I didn't write the guy's name down, but I can go back uh, and put it in the notes um, after this. The, rule, the ruler of this world is the structure of death. We get, we get sick, destruction happens, there's poverty, brutality, violence, hunger, greed consumerism. The world we live in is a shell of itself from the original way God formed it. And this, because this is Pentecost this Sunday. You know, a lot of churches will, they'll wear the red robes and, you know, all that. We know what happens within Pentecost. Um, But this was kind of talking about Pentecost. Um, And people who know me, I've come out of traditions, the Assemblies of God and the UCC where the UCC really is all about celebrating, like, the church calendar and these big dates. But evangelicalism, besides, like, Easter, Good Friday, and uh, Christmas, they never really care about some of these other days. But this talk's more going to be about how we how we as Christians, if we classify ourselves as Christians, should be subversive because that's how Jesus actually taught and lived was to be subversive of everything that is happening in our world. I would say Jesus is quite badass, I will say that. Um, But so you see kind of this quote is like we live in a world where I feel like a lot of people in the church, some churches, and I'm not going to pigeonhole all churches or all denominations, but I feel like a lot of churches they see the terrible stuff that happens we've seen on the news what's happening in Israel and Palestine that the fighting that's going going on which seems to never end uh, you know they have ceasefires for you know a while and then they start throwing bombs and grenades and shooting and that stuff's been going on for not just since Israel has become a nation but probably since the time of Jesus People have been fighting, fighting each other for all this stuff. But you see the death, you see the destruction, you see the poverty that we have, the sickness. We've here in the Twin Cities, we've seen the last year with the killing of, of unarmed black people. I know not just in Minneapolis, but spe- especially George Floyd, which you know the 25th is going to be a year since that happened. We've seen Dante, right? So we, ought, we, I guess my point with that is we see the the grime we see the dirt we see the shit that happens day to day but so often the church never talks about it we kind of just are like you know let's let's look let's open the bible to isaiah or let's look at the bible in psalms or matthew and we preach this like really happy sermon and you know we all do our thing and that's great and I'm not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think just the teachings of Jesus, and if anybody who knows me, I have issues with a lot of Christianity and Scripture, but I don't have an issue with the teachings of Jesus because I think that is what the Old Testament and the, New Te- and the later part of the New Testament is pointing us to the central figure of Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus. And that's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to, I guess the best word, I, I, and I love because I had a professor tell me, we're supposed to mimic the teachings of Jesus was supposed to, uh, you know, when I have my daughter here, she's not at the age yet, but I remember when I was a kid, you would mimic your parents. Like your parents would say something like, don't do this. And, and I would be like, don't do this. And so you just mimic them because you're mimicking, you're mimicking them because there's, you love them. You care about them. They're a mentor over you. They're telling you what to do. And I think mimicking is a, a form of high praise in a way because you're wanting so much to be like that person that you're doing everything that they're saying. So I think that's, the mimic is a good word where we're supposed to mimic these teachings of Jesus. So obviously Jesus came into, as a, born in as a child, raised as, you know, as a young man and even through his ministry, we see Jesus being born into a society, not like, Yes, it's a lot different than ours, but also not different. There's a lot of political discord, a lot of religious discord, uh, fighting, wars, famines. And so I think we do a disservice, a lot of us as Christians, when we don't talk about like this, these contexts that Jesus were in. That, that we look at the Bible and, you know, it's like, oh, you know... I, I'm a sinner or I'm this, I'm this, or I missed the mark on this. I'm gonna go to church and you know, have a good sermon and pray and feel good about myself and blah blah blah, and you leave. Okay, that's fine. However, we I think we need to dig deeper as people who are wanting to mimic Jesus and say, How do we how do we become subversive? How do we Kind of go against the flow go against the grain of what we sit you know of what our society and sometimes what our churches even say another quote um our societies actually this is i guess my quote so i'm quoting myself our societies in life are wrapped up in consumerism capitalism and self-serving i think that's kind of blatantly obvious to see especially in our society where you know, get the best job, get the best car, uh, live in the best house and the best community. And I'm not, this is not a sermon about bashing people who want to have nice things or people who, who, uh, who can get a good job. Uh, that's, that's fine. But I think we fall into the trap and especially, and I've, I haven't preached this, but I could, but about, you know, that like prosperity where you go, you know, that prosperity kind of gospel or theology where you go to church and you give money to the church and God's going to bless you and give you all these things. I will tell, I've had so many conversations with people where I'm like, nowhere in scripture does it say Jesus, God, whatever is going to give you all these nice things. That's not what, that's not what Christianity is about, but there's a section and portion of Christianity that believes that. And I said, well, when, when it does talk about prosperity in the scripture, but I think the prosperity that they're talking about is living a long life, uh, having food on your table, having shelter, these, these things that humans need, you know, all the things that we need. It's not talking about, oh, where well, you're going to go from living in an apartment to therefore living in a mansion because I gave money to the church. And I feel so often that... Christians, like everyone else, we get caught in this trap of consumerism, where we want to buy, buy, buy everything. We want to have ornate churches. We want to have, you know, like gyms and pools and and you know all these things within our church because it's going to make us cool, look cool, and it's going to make us have more people come into our churches and blah 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 blah. You can kind of see where that can just. Why so many younger people, including myself, have had issues with church is church doesn 't feel like church most often when you go in places like that. It feels like there's a church here locally i 'm not going to name names, but I remember my brother and his wife went there for a time, and it literally felt like you were going into like an international airport because you walked in there i mean there was cops and security guards they had like a coffee bar they had like a slushy. They had a, like a slushy bar. I mean, it was just, and I and my brother was like, isn't this really cool? I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm at like some international airport, like at some terminal and whatever. And then everyone rushes in for church, and they have this rock concert that you would see like Hillsong or Elevation Worship doing. And then they had, a, uh, all that being said, it was less than a, an hour. It, I timed it. It was 58 minutes. And then everyone rushes out. The cops are telling you where to go. And I was like, I was so bewildered because I was like, this doesn't feel like church. This just feels like this forced whatever. But that church is probably bringing in copious amounts of money. And they have so many other campuses around the Twin Cities, like satellite churches, where people would meet at at another church, have a little bit of their own worship, and then they would live stream this service. And I just am so bewildered, and I'm like, is that not in a lot, like, we say we're worshiping Jesus, but in a way, it's almost, I feel like we're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping, like, look at what cool church I go to. Look at what cool uh, things my church has to offer. And it's less about, are we really living these teachings of Jesus? Are we really mimicking them? Or are we kind of just doing this song and dance? And I will say this humans do a lot of things that are ritualistic. You go back since the dawn of humanity, human beings, no matter where you've lived, what culture, what race, religion, we've done things that are ritualistic. And I'm not saying that isn't anything inherently wrong with that, but I feel like so often humans do things ritualistic, but we never question why we do those rituals, why we do ritualistic things. And I think church is another one of those things, is we... Where, like I gotta get up and I, I gotta wear my Sunday's best and I got to go to church and yes even what we're doing here we meet every Sunday most Sundays and you could say that that's ritualistic yeah so I'm not saying that ritualism is wrong but if you are not asking the question of why are we doing this why, it, it, like here with revolution it's it's my tagline and some people like it some people don't is church without the bullshit because I'm really trying to strip down at what church is. Like, I don't care if we have music. I don't care if we have all these other things. I just want to give a talk, have a conversation, because I feel that is more what church was about, how the inception of church was about. When you look in the Bible times, we met. they met in houses. They met in barns. They met on the coast. They met you know, in a field, and they just talked. They had conversations, and they took care of one another. And I feel like that's what we're trying to do here at Revolution. But when you get these like, ministries and churches that are so big, so large, the first thing that goes into my head is, why are we doing this ritualistic thing? And how much self-serving, consumeristic, materialistic things are we actually doing? So... Jesus, through his teachings, gives us a way to be subversive to the power structures that be. And I'll kind of go through here. But first, what's the definition of subversive? It's an adjective that means seeking or intended to subvert an established system or institution. It's directly from the dictionary. When I think, and when I found that, and I was like, when I read that, the, I'm like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus in a nutshell. Because when you look through scripture, Jesus Jesus subverted all the power structures in his day. Everyone, when Jesus came on the scene and he declared himself, you know, I'm the Messiah, what the Jews were waiting for, everyone thought like, no, you're not. You're just some weird, wacky, itinerant rabbi because we're wanting a king. We're wanting a ruler. We're wanting like... Uh, whatever you, you were wanting Someone like like the Roman emperors Or like the Greek pantheon They were looking at someone who would come in Sit on this throne of wherever Sit in a castle or wherever And just dole out Punishment, justice Retribution, love and gra- All these things But it's like and that's why I'm so fascinated about the story of Jesus is because it's like Jesus came in and was like, here's what everyone thinks I'm going to do. Here's what here's what the culture, here's what the people, here's what the power structures say that is going to happen. And I'm just going to go, whoop, I'm coming in and I'm subverting it and being like, this isn't like anything you've ever seen before. And that's why I think it's so, why subversiveness and why I've just been enamored with this, I guess, idea and ideology about Jesus being subversive. I uh, got that through that note. Since the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was acting subversively because he was busting down the power structures of his day. He broke down down so people could hear the good news, not just Jew or Gentile, because we see that in in scriptures, Especially the Jewish people, since Jesus was Jewish, especially in the Old Testament, how you read it and how it's, how it's defined is like this was their Jewish Messiah. Like they were they were hoping for a Jewish Messiah, and and even to this day, most Jews, unless they're Christian Jews, uh, they're still waiting for that Messiah. They still they don't believe that Jesus, they believe Jesus was a great teacher, a great prophet, but he wasn't the Messiah. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he's like, I am like, I am the son of God. I am God. God is my father. I am the son. This is whatever. And people were just bewildered. They were like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because going back to what I just said a few minutes ago, they thought that Jesus was coming in triumphantly. And how did Jesus come in? He came in on a donkey. I mean, he came in on probably, he didn't come in on a horse. He didn't come on some lofty animal. He came in, and as the Bible says, he came in on an ass, at which you think like a donkey is not the smartest animal in the world. So I think that's all purposeful. Here's here's everyone in that culture, everyone in that time, when they when Jesus said he is the Messiah, he is God, people were just like, what? they just didn't understand it because here is this timid rabbi. Here's this timid Jew who was like, this is, this is the kingdom. This kingdom that you're wanting is not the kingdom. Like you think that you think is going to happen. This kingdom is something that you're not going to understand. This kingdom is, is, uh, you know, loving your neighbor, turning the other cheek, nonviolence, which is, you know, struck every, Thing of what those people in that culture thought. Because it was a very violent society. It was very powerful, very patriarchal, very misogynistic, very sexist. And when you read through scriptures and hear Jesus, Jesus is tearing all that down. All of it. And like I, I have, I'm having conversations with people online all the time, and they're like, I can't understand the Bible. It's so sexist. It's so this. It's so misogynistic. And I said, yeah, I'll agree with you. There is a lot of that in the Bible. But I said, when you focus on the teachings of Jesus and look at what Jesus himself says and is attributed to saying, I said, Jesus is with you. He's like, why are you treating women this way? Why are you treating children this way? Why are you treating people who don't believe like you this way? Because he's asking these questions too. Like, this these people are saying that they're acting in my name or in God's name, but they're not really acting in my name at all. And the, really, the kicker is when Jesus said, "There's you know I didn't come just for the Jews; I came for the Gentile." Gentile obviously is for anyone who's not Jewish. That was a real kicker because these Jewish people thought that Jesus was just going to be there for them. Like, this was their king, this was their messiah to lead them into this next great, you know, era of life. And when Jesus was like, I didn't come for just the Jewish people, I came for everyone, every every other person, that pissed a lot of Jews off. <laughs> okay, you could imagine, if you could just picture yourself there then, and you're like, we're waiting for this messiah, we're waiting for this this teacher that we've read through all in the you know in this Old Testament and what's been prophesied by the prophets and all this stuff and then you then you realize like oh uh, this guy's coming in he said he's Jewish he's a rabbi but yet he's saying this kingdom's open for every single person no matter who you are doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter if you're a male or woman doesn't matter if you're a kid doesn't matter if you're young or old or whatever and you can see how just that right there is subversive because it's coming into the power structures of what these people thought and of the power that was there. And Jesus, and he, and what I love what Jesus did is if you go through the scripture, when people ask, not all the time, but most of the time when someone asks Jesus a question, he never gives them a straight answer. He, he, he asks another question and that's purposeful. Because Jesus could say, like if Amanda or Curtis asked me, like Brian, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, I'm just using this is a hypothetical, but if you, but if you asked me a question, I could be like, bam, I'm going to give you this answer, but I'll ask you another, I'll ask you that question back. So for instance, you know, in the Bible, you know, people are like, are you the son of man or are you God? And Jesus usually says, who do you think I am? Or who do you say that I am? Because he, he, he knows in his heart who he is, but he's turning it around and not putting the onus on him, but he's turning it around and saying, well, no, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And a, a, another power structure being subversive, I've preached on this too, the two lowliest things that a human being could do back in the Bible times for, for a job was being a tax collector and being a prostitute. Like, those were just not looked upon highly. Obviously, even to this day, prostitutes are not looked very favorably in most parts of the world. But, and then a tax collector, which was even more evil about a tax collector, why they were probably the lowest, is because it was the Romans. The Romans were there in Israel being the rulers and the leaders. They hired Jewish men to be working for the state. So working for the enemy, working for the empire to come in to other Jews and take their money to tax them. And this wasn't just like how we get taxed out of our like, income. This was an exorbitant amount of money. This would, so let's say you made $1,000. That's obviously not what they made. But if you made $1,000, a tax collector would come in and say, okay, 200 of this goes back to Rome. But then what a lot of tax collectors would do too is they would skim and they would take even more. So they would come in and say, hey, you know what, Rome needs $400 from you out of your thousand. And so he would give it to Rome, the $200, and they would pocket the other $200. So that, and people knew that that was a practice what tax collectors did. What's so awesome is Jesus is like, he goes to Matthew, who supposedly was the one who wrote the gospel of Matthew, and I preached on this a number of weeks ago, and he was just, he kind of just goes to Matthew, and this is why I think Jesus is so badass and subversive, and he just has a conversation with him, and it was kind of like, hey, stop what you're doing, let's just, let's go, let's hang out, let's have, let's have a dinner together. What? That, that just never happens, that's not supposed to happen. Because back in the Bible times, in these structures, you had, it's like, you don't hang out with these people. These people don't inter- intermingle with these people. These people don't talk with these people. How often does that sound like most churches? Oh, Christians, you're not supposed to hang out with atheists. Atheists are not supposed to hang out with Christians. Uh, you're not supposed to do this or this or this or talk to this person because it just looks bad or whatever. But when you look at Jesus, Jesus is like, I don't, I don't care what these power structures are. I don't care what this person says I should do or shouldn't do. I'm going to go to them because I'm going to give them worth. I'm going to tell them they're loved and they're they're part of this kingdom. And yeah, I would say uh, those people stopped what they were doing. I'm sure Matthew stopped being a tax collector once he had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And then you look you look at the women throughout throughout the New Testament. The woman at the well caught in adultery. You know, people, a lot of scholars are, some scholars will say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Some people will say she's not. That's up for the debate. But I think the most amazing thing about Jesus is the people, right after the resurrection, if you believe the resurrection was legit, who was there? Who was there? It was his mom and Mary, Mary Magdalene. All the other disciples were scattered and did whatever, all the men but who who was there at the cross? It was women, and women were lowly creatures. It was literally men, children, then women, and then livestock. Begin why children were ahead of women because, unfortunately, back in Bible times, a lot of what women's roles were were just to literally be baby makers, take care of the where you know at home or whatever where the men would go out and work, take care of the fields, whatever. And Jesus is subversive because he was like, look, look, these women are in this kingdom. Women have a vital role in the kingdom. And when Jesus resurrected, who were the first people to come to the tomb? Was it men? No, it was women. So this whole subversiveness of these power structures of what is supposed to be okay, what was supposed to be right, Jesus just threw that away. And that is exactly going back to subversiveness. Seeking or intended to subvert an established system or institution. Jesus did that purposefully. Like, the subversiveness that Jesus did is exactly what this definition of subversion is. And that's, and I mean, I can't tell you how many times in seminary or college or even in my other youth group, I remember I was in 10th grade in my old, somebody's a guy youth group and I, they let kids preach like once once a year. And so I preached and my, my sermon title was Jesus Was a Rebel. And I was starting to use some of this or I was like, even back then, like the story of Jesus and his teachings were just firing in my head. It was like, Jesus was tearing down power structures. Jesus was tearing down all the things that people thought that he shouldn't tear down, and this is exactly what he's doing. And so I'm like, he was a rebellious person. He was not doing what he was supposed to do. He was not looking and obeying the power structures that be. I had my youth pastor come up to me afterwards and was like, yeah, I did not like that sermon. I was like, why? He's like, because Jesus wasn't rebellious. Jesus. And I was like, uh, yeah, he was. I was like, he's the epitome of what a rebellious rabbinical teacher would do. He, I'm like, you can't look at it any way. I said he tore down power structures, he tore down uh, gender roles and gender norms, he elevated children, uh, he elevated women, everything back in that Bible times that people did not think should be elevated. And so even back then, all those years ago, I'm dating myself, at <laughs> how old I am, but even back then, I, w- I was so enamored with this subversion. I didn't know that word probably back then, what it means to me now. But then also, and this is, this is what pisses a lot of Christians off, is I say to people, Jesus took on the religious people of his day. And people are like, well, Brown, are you trying to say you want to take on religious people? Uh, but I do think, I'm not going to say yes or no, but I do think a lot, I think Christians have to apologize for a lot of the shit that they've done throughout the centuries. But I look at how often do you see Jesus coming to people throughout the New Testament, especially the Pharisees who were the ruling religious elite, who knew everything in the Old Testament. They literally memorized everything in the Old Testament, knew all the laws, knew all the Hebrew laws, and they saw this Jesus character coming in. And they had in their head too, like, Jesus this we're waiting for our Messiah, we're waiting for this God, and then they see this rabbi, this itinerant rabbi, and he's like, Yeah, I am what you're hoping for. I am this person and they're like, No, you're not, because you're not you're not following the law. And you see in the New Testament where Jesus is like, I came to f I came to fulfill the law. I came to make the law new. And a lot of times I think For me, what that means is he's like, you have the law, and I'm not saying everything in the law is right or wrong, but I'm the law made flesh. I'm the law made new. Since I'm here now, you don't need these laws. You have me, and you have these teachings that now you can live off of, now that this is what's going to make you a follower of me. And you look at the Pharisees all and I mean, they hated Jesus, I mean, I hate it's a strong word, but they hated Jesus. Anytime. Why? Why did they hate Jesus? Because he was tearing down little by little their power structure. He was tearing down their. Because like, they thought they were the smartest people. And you, you see any kind of religious movie talking about Pharisees. You, you probably. They lived a life of opulence. They had, you know, I'm kind of jealous of their beards that they had, but. You know, here they had these awesome beards, this opulence, these nice clothing, probably had really nice places to live, whether, like, they lived in the temple or whether they did, you know, um, I, I could just kind of look at it like a castle, living in something like that. And Jesus goes to them and is like, no, 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 no. This isn't. This isn't what it's about. So he's subverting that power structure. And... You, and, and Jewish people back then, it's like you had to go to temple. You had to sacrifice animals. You had to do this to appease God. And if you look at a lot of pr- like re- like religious practices, not just by Jews, but in a lot of other religions back then, sacrifice was something that they did. Greeks did it. Romans did it. Uh, Jews did it. And Jesus kind of comes in and is like, you don't have to do this anymore. And people are like, well, this is the law. We have to, some sort of sacrifice. Jesus is like, no, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to sacrifice to God because God, I'm God. And I'm telling you, you don't have to do this. Don't be worried about it. And I think it's awesome that Jesus, because how often do we look at pastors today, keepers of the word of God, keepers of of the teachings of Jesus, we're all educated, and I'm not saying education is bad. But we look at pastors now, and they're like, you have to come into our church. You have to come into our fold. You have to come into, if you come into this Baptist church, you kind of have to, well, let you be a little fringy, but not too much. We have You have to believe in our dogmas. You have to believe in our theology. And if you don't, or if you start kind of cutting away at that power structure, th- what are they going to do? They're going to they're kick you out, tell you not to come back, tell you that you're not a Christian, tell you that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, good, tear down that power structure because that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was tearing down these power structures. The Pharisees were like, the only time you can talk about God is, are in these temples. This is why we have our temples. And Jesus, you look at his whole ministry, where was he at? He was with the people. He was with them day to day. He was like, I would say, like a public theologian. He wasn't sitting in a temple. He wasn't sitting in what we would say in our normal vernacular in a church. He was out there with everyone else and saying, here, here's these teachings. Here, follow me. Here, put down your nets. Here, put down your job, your livelihood, and follow me. And that's so incredibly subversive, so incredibly subversive. And that's, and if I could, and I'm trying to live into this of even understanding myself, I'm not saying God's calling me to like quit my job because I think we need to work in order to provide for ourselves and our family. But I think the subversiveness as I'm talking about is my issue with church, full transparency, and why I left the denomination that I was a part of, which is very progressive, very liberal, was the control and the power structures within the church. And people do not realize until you are in an ordination process, in any denomination, just how much bullshit goes behind, that is happening behind the curtains. You don't. And when you... Talk with those people who are in leadership. When you talk to those people who are running these denominations, or whether it's local churches or a national setting or whatever, you realize it's not about your teachings, your calling, it's about the power. A lot of people don't want to give up their power, it's the only thing that they've ever done. And why do you think so often throughout history people have always looked at Christians, have always looked at people in the church as Pharisees? Because we know the law, we know the teachings of Jesus, but yet we hold on to the power. We hold on to the structure. We hold on to, because humans love power. We love to be in power. We love to be in leadership. And I'm not saying leadership is bad, but what happens when you're in leadership in any job, in any career, you get to a higher part of leadership, and you become obsessed with power, and control, and telling everyone has to be like this, 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 and that's what Jesus is all about, is he's like, being part of my kingdom, being part of this teaching of the way, because that's what early Christians were called, the followers of the way, not Christians, is tearing down these power structures. And one thing, I will say this before I want to end, because I want to end on this awesome thing that I found on um, Instagram. Instagram is probably my favorite thing I spend the most time on for social media. But, and Rob Bell had said this in, this in this class that I took, and I talked about it briefly last week, but I want to talk about it more today, was when Jesus did his ministry, and people need to realize Jesus was killed when he was 33. So I'm almost 38, so Jesus would have been long dead by that time. And I remember when I was like 15 or 16, I'm like, oh, 33, that kind of seems like kind of old. And then you get to be 33 and you're like, ah, 33 is not old at all compared to how long we live. But yeah, their, their mortality rate back then, you know, the average, you know, person in Bible times did not live to be 70 or 80. They probably lived 50, you know, 45 to like 50, 55. That was the mortality rate back then because of all the different diseases and things that they had. So Jesus back then, I guess, would have been middle-aged. But three years, three years, in in the scope of reality, if we look at it as humans, three years really isn't that long in a, in a person's life. So in three years, Jesus did this ministry, this itinerant preacher, this rabbinical preacher. One thing that Rob said, which was awesome, was that just like Christians, when we get baptized, that's a... That's a huge thing for most Christians. That's this ritual and this symbolism of, I'm no longer part of this world. I'm following Jesus, and I'm following this. St- There's nothing around that I've been baptized. I was baptized. It was kind of cool. I was baptized in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, but back then, it was if you did anything religious, it had to be in the temple. It ha- I mean, and uh, and uh pharisee or a different rabbi had to be doing this had you know it was very strict very procedural very their policies that they had and what did jesus do he he was itinerant he had no home he went and found john the baptist which is cool because john the baptist was his cousin and a lot of people kind of overlooked that so he not only just went to john the baptist and back then which is really interesting to note on a side note, is people thought John the Baptist was Jesus. Because he, and John the Baptist was like, no, 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 I'm paving the way for the Messiah. I'm paving the way for this Holy One who was taught about. And then kind of like Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, and obviously Jesus is, his name was Yeshua, which is translated into Joshua. So Joshua comes up to John and is like, Hey, what's up? Like, I want you to baptize me, and it's like John the Baptist is what? And he's like, "I'm the Messiah. I'm God." So think, just think about that. Like, if it was your cousin back then, and you you were John the Baptist, and your cousin comes up to you and he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm Jesus." Because we forget all the time that there's the dual divinity and being a human at the same time, which is just a philosophical thing, anyway. Um, and. So Jesus does. Jesus gets baptized, and that's, like, in the Bible, kind of like the starting-off point of him doing his ministry. But what was so subversive about that is out in the middle, it was out in the river, out a small lake, whatever you want to call it. He gets baptized, has a small group of people around him, of followers of John the Baptist, and he just comes there and... and Rob Bell went a little bit deeper and was like They were far outside of town It wasn't like just outside of town It was far outside of town And the power structures are like no you need to do this ritual thing Here in the temple a rabbi needs to do Da 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 John the Baptist was probably a very According to the Pharisees Probably very just Not smart to them A lot of those people were couldn't read or write Do any of that stuff And here John baptizes Jesus. And it was so, and I just love it because when I was re- hearing Rob say that, I was like, this is so subversive. He's literally taken all these power structures and is like, yeah, I know all those power structures are over there. I don't care because that's not what it's about. I'm not about power. I'm not about uh, any of these things that everyone has in their mindset. I'm not about that. I'm coming in here meek and mild. I'm coming in here and he never said subversiveness, but you just look all throughout the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And I would pose this question to anybody listening: How can we not look at what Jesus was doing and not say that that was subvers, not subversive, because it is all throughout? I mean, when and when you look at the subversiveness and and write this down with the going back to the definition seeking or intended to subvert an established system or institution. He did that purposely. With the Roman system, he subverted that. With the religious system of the day, he subverted that. And I mean, you look at the Romans, they were just like, they look, I mean, they, like Pontius Pilate, like, oh, this is the king of the Jews, cool. Like, this is, like, I look back and I kind of laugh because I'm like, the Romans weren't threatened by him. But yet they were occupying Israel, Jerusalem, that whole region. But then the Jews were th- so threatened by him, even though Jesus was a Jew. And then obviously, I think over time, the Romans did get threatened by him because the, Jesus was taking away tax collectors and other people who were working for Rome. So then they, they eventually got threatened. So there's just this whole awesome thing about subversive the last thing I want to say is there's this it's not it's not a meme but is it's been a lot on Instagram and I saw it and I think it really helps us understand this concept of Jesus we have' and especially in white evangelical America and really the historical Jesus on who Jesus really is so a colonizer Jesus of And people might be like, well, why would you say colonizer Jesus? Because let's be honest, all white people, our ancestors were colonizers. We came from Europe to America to colonize this land from the natives and totally take away their their way of living. So when we look at a colonizer Jesus, we look at Jesus as white, Christian, uber-patriotic, justice through retribution, died for your sins, sending sinners to hell, silent in the face of oppression, condemns sinners, endorses church and state, a king, upholds traditional family units, and endorses holy war. And if you can just think about living in life, especially in America— Kind of sounds like the Jesus that's talked about a lot, right? Maybe not to all churches, maybe not to all ministries that are doing that. Because I'm not going to pigeonhole. But when I was re- writing this down, I was like, "Yeah, this seems like the Jesus I was raised with." There's that famous painting that was probably in most of our grandparents' house of that white Jesus, like that. I was, it's like the German or Norwegian Jesus. It's that side profile with the long, flowing locks. That nice massive beard and just kind of like looking out in the distance. And that that was the picture that I always grew up, with, which is like that is Jesus. My grandma had My grandma had this picture and it just this old painting or portrait. It was so weird. But it was Jesus looking in the UN building in New York. It was the UN building It was painted there. And Jesus was like this giant, it was really creepy. And it was this white Jesus, like looking kind of like looking through the windows to just make sure everything was being done how I want to. But even that painting was Jesus was white. So this colonizer, the, and, and I didn't think any of it when I was that, that age, but now I look at it as an adult and I was like, that's a colonizer Jesus. That's, they thought Jesus was white. They thought that Jesus was all about patriotism. And look how many Christians thought, you know, are so enamored with politics right now. And even liberal Christians are too, and that's problematic to me as well. But how we're like, Jesus is voting for this party, or Jesus has to be with this party, da-da-da-da-da. But yet we say, oh, well, that's how Jesus really is. But then this is what the historical Jesus, the Jesus we see in the New Testament, the Jesus that scholars and people who have written down from historical manuscripts we have from back then. Jesus was Middle Eastern and brown skin. He was Jewish, not Christian. Uh, He was colonized, or that area was colonized by Rome. Justice through restoration. Killed by the church and state. Friend of sinners and outcasts. Liberates the oppressed. Critiques religious people. Subverts empire. He was a homeless man and a child refugee, had half siblings, and was nonviolent. It seems more like the Jesus you see in the New Testament if you're honest with yourself. And when I talk to my wife, or I talk to my friends, or even families, and people are like, and some of them who aren't Christians are like, "Why? Why do you?" The, and I'm not saying this is how I feel, but they'll be like, "How can you be a Christian? The church sucks. God is dead. You know, the church did this and this to me," and, and I always tell people, wherever your hurt is, your trauma, whatever you went through, I'm there with you. I'm there hurting with you and suffering with you. I've had my own issues with the church and how it's hurt me. But I look back and I say, the Jesus that you were shown was this colonizer white Jesus, this American Jesus. The Jesus that we see in the New Testament, the historical Jesus that we see, was everything that we normally don't preach about. He was not white. And I tell people all the time in my family who's predominantly white, you're worshiping a savior, a Jesus that did not look anything like you, who didn't act anything like you. You know, you, you you want these kids at the border to be in cages. That would have been Jesus if it was right here and right now. Because he didn't have a home. Jesus even says the Messiah has no home, has no place to lay his head. Was that purposeful on his part? I don't know. But he had no home. His parents had while Mary being pregnant with him, had to leave their house. They, they yes, it was part of uh they had to because of the census, but he had no home. They were refugees. And he subverts empire and he critiques religious people. And I'll wrap this up by saying I can't make it any more clear is Jesus. Wants us, I feel, when we mimic his teachings, to subvert these power structures. Structures, do it in respectful ways. Do it in kind ways. Do it in appropriate ways. But I think it's our jobs as Christians to look at power structures, whether in the church, whether in our society, whether whether they be political structures. Structures, You know, when people are anti-LGBTQ, I look at these things and I'm like, these are the structures that Jesus wants us to subvert and to say, you have these views, you have these laws, you say that they're in my name, but they're not. I'm coming here to subvert it. And I think what I just said, hopefully the talk made sense enough to say, hey, maybe Brian is, has a point of just briefly going through this of how Jesus is giving us a clear mandate that we need to subvert these powers because they think what they're doing is right and it's really not right. It's about power. Really what these people want are power, control, leadership. And when people and what happens in politics, society, and church, when people want power or when people question power, question authority, what happens? They disappear. I'm not saying they're going to get killed, but they just disappear. Because when you speak truth to power, the power tries to quiet you and tries to quench you. And this is exactly what they did to Jesus they killed him. The church and the state killed him because he was speaking truth to power and they didn't like it. Any questions, comments, pushbacks? I got really deep. <laughs> <laughs> questions pushbacks in my heretic
0: yeah i just think like uh organizing groups of people is complicated and it's easier to do when you have uh very strict guidelines and understandings of who's in charge and like how to uh like what the rules of engagement are but um Organizing around uh, an allowance for subversion and an allowance for uh, breaking the rules or going against the people that are currently uh, the spokespeople for the group is a lot more difficult, um, but I think it's also uh, required because it seems like that's a more accurate portrayal of how people should be organizing each other. Um, because it allows for individuals that might have a different opinion um, to have their voices heard. And if enough people agree with that voice, they can then uh, that new concept can be adopted., uh, but um obviously, the church here is called revolution. I feel like there are um, ways in which our current power structure, uh, within the United States kind of has that some somewhat of that concept where um, our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, says we're endowed with certain rights, and if those are uh, not respected, then people have the right to abolish or uh, change their form of government. Um, I feel like that sort of mentality uh, would be well uh, Um, It would be smart for the church to say it's okay to have this sort of uh, allowance for renewal and change within the way that we understand our foundational documents. And I think that you articulated that pretty well uh, and kind of put out a good call that the church should welcome that sort of mentality, even though it's uh, (coughs) admittedly a more difficult way to organize groups of people. I think it's a, a better way.
2: So I, bet, uh, I grew up uh, heavily indoctrinated in Christianity. I moved from Episcopal Church to uh, Church of St. Paul, and then finally Zion Lutheran Church. Eventually found my way to one of those very large uh, rock Show type churches, and somewhere along the line, um, thankfully because i you know I was fortunate enough to have uh, a family that could provide enough for, to send me to college and really impressed on me the importance of education uh, I've I got involved in a lot of doing uh, historical research into the basis of Judaism and um, And Christianity it also happened to be when my faith was really shaken um, Because what I had learned from my my upbringing in church was very different than what I found out as to what the historical Jesus was talking about. So I really appreciate you bringing it up today, because subversion, I think, is a thing that sometimes we 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 focus often on subversion of uh, these these power structures outside of ourselves. And I think that there's there's another level that I've come to perceive in the process of looking at that specifically as an approach to like making decisions in my own life. How do I think about things? How do I feel about things within myself? More, more importantly, sometimes how do I feel about myself as a person and where do, where does my concept of shame and pride and things of that nature come from? What are my values? And I'm grateful that as you know as as more or less a red letter christian that looking at the teachings of jesus i see values in there that apply not only to structures that we see in controlling ourselves and organizing ourselves as a species of humans but also as a in a, in the larger role of us and our relation to the environment and the ecological systems that we we inhabit too there's this great and somehow also, a terrifying book that Tim Flannery, is an Australian ecologist, wrote about uh, the Maori, Maori tribes and how twenty thousand some years ago they came to Australia, and he he talks about humans as an exterminator species we go into and conquer and destroy in order to feed our families and um this is well before you know agricultural revolution and i i look at jesus in the context of humans and, and for people that believe uh, Believe in evolution um, Humans as coming to a place Now where we Have an opportunity to see Not only these power structures in play Within ourselves and in our society But how that also affects Us at large And our impact on really spaceship Earth so um, Some of the things that you pointed out about Subversion today I think Apply in that Manner too in the sense of Where are where do we seek power? Why do we seek control? A lot of that is very much amygdala-based. Like, my lizard brain is telling me I need to kill and protect my tribe. Um, we're, we're, we're very tribal, and I feel that uh, there are ways of, of things that I, I, I think you pointed out greatly in, in perfect, uh, in, in actually a perfect way today when you said, Brian, that... You're not telling people to just go and quit your job. You're, it's not a subversion and, and a, uh, in a sense of all systems must be dismantled at all levels. It's a subversion of power and control in ways that that don't embody the values of Jesus. And those things, organizing a society around those values, and then also questioning as they as you go, I think is the way to go about living. Um, that's a daily practice and you're right. We're, we're not going to be able to get there by just saying, I'm going to wake up. I'm this way now and forever. It's absolutely something that is going to be generational and moving the needle. So I'm grateful that I had an opportunity to come here today and listen to you talk about this because I think that fellowship and taking care of each other on an individual level, where you are making these connections this is important and it's not a production it's an exercise in thought and philosophy and that's something that's sorely lacking and it's something that you're providing so i appreciate that
1: well uh that was good that was good thank you for your comments everyone um i want to be respectful of time for all of us and also for brian lake bowl uh can always talk off mic to everyone so like i said earlier um no service next week i think amanda put that in the notes um i think i'm going to record something next week uh just a short thing from my little studio in my apartment so there will be something up there but yeah uh if you like not just this week's sermon um just go back listen to others tell other people to listen on our facebook page we're on instagram too at at Revolution Church MPLS. Um, interact. We have a Facebook community, our Revolution Church community page that I'm not on all the time, and shame on me for that. But yeah, just if you like what you hear, spread the word. That's how our little church is growing little by little. So, till next time, everyone, have a good day.